Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse. And for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. There's a science to celebrate famous list now. Come on! There's a rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true. It's real. Financial bosses, God put those here to test our faith. A damn lie. I, I saw them on my own eye. Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniacs! In God's name, you people are the real thing! We are the illusion! What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Share. Thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in. I gotta tell you guys, dealing with reality melting all around me was a lot easier when I was young and childless. I was one person facing the world, and for a long time, I was content in just watching it burn from a lawn chair. But having a kid put me face to face all over again with the ugliness, the corruption, the evil. But I'm taking it one day at a time and learning as much as I can from as many insightful people as I can. And tonight is no exception. Joining me is Lindsay Sharman, host of the Rogue Ways podcast and also The Middle Path, an educator and mentor, and author of many books, including her newest, All Endings Are Beginnings. This was an awesome chat. Lindsay gave me a lot of great resources and tons to think about. She's one of the great minds of our beautiful community of truth seekers and wayward spiritual misfits, so please welcome Lindsay Sharman. Hello. Hey, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. (laughs) How's it going? Good. How are you? Not too bad. I'm all right, considering the state of the world currently, you know, yeah. hanging, in, hanging in there. How about yourself? Same. Pretty good, given that everything seems to be crazy. But it's so funny because everything seems to be so crazy and falling apart. And at the same time, like, I've never been better. So I like there's like an inverse relationship going on here. Dude, I totally can. That, that resonates with me big time. My wife and I both have spent like ever since this all started, it's been like up and up and up on like the spiritual scale, the growth scale. So that's good. You yeah. know, while the rest of the world seems to kind of crumble and fall apart, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's just the illusion, you know, they like to promote that and that's the media and that's what sort of the people caught up in the media are projecting. But then like, you know, if we're all experiencing this spiritual enhancement and d- deepening then obviously that's got to be permeating out into the world somewhat. And so who knows what's really going on? Yeah, that's a good point because I mean, you figure we're, we've been talking about crazy conspiracy theories for decades, and there's plenty of society with nice straight suits on saying, "Get a job, hippie. You're crazy." Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so even people like that are kind of 
waking up a little bit more than they were before, even if they're still considering us all crazy. You know what I mean? Right. It's true. <laughs> they're like, huh, maybe I need to go talk to that crazy hippie, actually. Maybe. maybe. So for my audience, uh, would could you give a little bit of background about how you, what came first? Were you an author first or... <laughs> Was it the tarot that brought you into the spirit? Well, what happened? How did it all transpire? Don't you don't have to tell your whole life story, just a little bit of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to encapsulate. Um, I definitely was a writer first. I um, I started writing as a form of like self therapy when I was when my father died. Actually, my, one of my counselors said, you know, this is a good way to just get things out and and whatever. And I was like there and I just started journaling like all day every day as much I'd fill up journals and get new ones like and this is you know I was 11 11 years old and honestly to be honest before that I was writing short stories and a very advanced child as well so I um definitely have always been a writer and a reader and so I would say that was first quote unquote mm. <laughs> um uh but the tarot came in pretty early too that was probably about I always have to guess because I don't have an, ex I don't, it's not like I, if I went back to my diaries, I'd be able to tell an exact date, but I haven't done right. that yet. So <laughs> I guess just somewhere around like 14, 15, maybe I started doing so tarot. Brain there for a while. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And then, um, and then that led directly to the, my deeper spiritual experiences because, you know, part of them was deeply um, intertwined in me doing tarot and doing it very incorrectly on the spiritual level and getting some pretty negative attachments there. So, so they're all kind of intertwined, you know? Yeah, definitely. I hear you. I hear you. Um, so what I really um, wanted to talk about at least first with you is, I mean, just the fact that uh, you were a full-time teacher and now you're still teaching. Well, I guess my my fans of Rogue Way, Rogue Ways, my show, um, and Middle Path, my other show, they always tell me that I am still teaching. <laughs> so okay, I guess good. you know via the show, really? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do, you know, I do like homeschool consultation, educational consultation, and so I I teach people who are teaching. Um, but I don't do public school or private school classroom teaching anymore, and I hope to never do so again. Despite my deep love of of teaching in classrooms and the students there. Right, right. That, I can totally agree with you there. And that's what um, I've been kind of looking into over the course of the past year. Like, what kind of parent am I going to be with my perspective putting my child through this school system? You know what I mean? He's only three right now. So it's like right there. It's a, you know what I mean? If it wasn't for the pandemic, he'd probably already be involved. You know what I mean? So it's, it's getting down to the wire. The world is getting crazier. I'm getting less paranoid and more just confident that everything is absolutely fucked and there it's <laughs> on purpose and all this stuff. So I really couldn't wait to talk to you about just your perspective on education itself and, and how we, how we can successfully navigate as parents uh, with our young children in this ever-increasing propaganda state. I mean, I know we all kind of grew up in it and freed ourselves of it, but it just seems very different right now. Yeah, I mean, we were the lucky ones, right? Because we also know people who we grew up with who were pretty smart and maybe even saw suit through a lot of it and then right now are not, you know, they're in full denial mode with their head in the sand and haven't woken up fully. So, 
Um, so we know that even if you are intelligent, if you're in that system long enough and you absorb some of the, really it's a culture of psychopathy. And, um, you know, I, I outlined it in a recent article I wrote, which is conditioned by psychopathy is the name of the article. If anyone wants to read it, and it's just a really good overview of psychopathy, sociopathy, and, um, borderline personality disorders and personality disorders and how they're all pretty much on the same um, spectrum. And they're all something that our culture intentionally uh, creates and, uh, and, you know, deepens and <laughs> invites and just reinforces all throughout our lives. And so even if we're intelligent, our emotional selves often get incredibly damaged by this system. And that is, like you said, by design. Um, and it is getting worse and worse all of the time because we're more and more uh, saturated with that mindset and that behave that set of behaviors. And so we um, accept it more and more and it's saturated in our media. It's just reflected everywhere and it's just getting more and more um, overt and obtuse. And so it's no longer strange to be a psychopath or a sociopath or to treat people in this way. Uh, it's accepted. It's even celebrated sometimes. And it's often, you know, I was thinking about this today that it's in so many ways, anything that is compassionate or empathic or intuitive or any of these things that are actually like deep traits of being a human being, a fully fledged human being, those are very shunned in a way, you know, like you're the weirdo, there's something wrong with you, you're weak, um, you know, and all these things, whether men and women, you know, we all of us, it's not a gender thing. It's just like a message that we receive and so over and over again. Um so I don't know if I answered your question or not, but that's, I, don't know I if think. I asked one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how to navigate this world. My God, it's such a broad thing to even attempt to answer anyway. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Talking about the, the whole like indoctrination kind of level of things. I mean, looking back at my education, I mean, I was, I graduated in 2003. So right, you know, up until that point, I, I can, you know, perfectly visualize the programming that was going on now definitely i've you know escaped the matrix as they say but i feel as though the masters they whatever you want to call them the just i don't know i like it's, to call them the um either the psychopath class or the predator class or the parasite class yeah um, because I don't want to give them that status of master or elite. I totally am with you. I say the same thing, but I'm trying to change my language so I can take that away from them. That seems to be the recent message we're all kind of receiving and giving to each other. You know, yeah. I, right after the new year, I was hearing Greg Carlwood, Sam Tripoli, just everybody was talking about turning over a new leaf and, you know, trying to leave that negative negativity behind when we can, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, crap. There goes my train of thought. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that's fine. I, de um, I derailed you. That's um, all right. Just, uh, I, okay. Oh, so the indoctrination. Was, yeah, the I indoctrination. Yeah. So, like, now it seems, it's starting to seem like they, the predator class, you know, they get better and better and better. Just like bullets get better as bulletproof vests get better. It, it's just physics, you know? These predators get better and better at indoctrination as well, it seems. Where now... I'm hearing wild reports of like, you know, syllabuses and, and teachers suggesting that, you know, the students should have an absolute barrier from their parents and what we're going to be teaching them should be for only their eyes and their parents are infringing upon their own privacy and all that. And these are children we're talking about. We're not talking about 15 year olds, 16 year olds. We're talking about very small adolescents and 
I really worry that the indoctrination is of a whole new breed. And, you know, what kind of education is actually being given anymore in these schools? Yes, it's not education. Honestly, it is just indoctrination. And it's really hard to get people to understand just how true that is because we have it so grilled into us that school is teaching our students, our kids, these things and that they're, they need those things to have a job. It's almost never true. If you spent time as an adult with a little bit more open eyes and understanding, you know, as a fly on the wall of your of your kid's normal day in school, you would see, first of all, that there might be on a really good, really focused day out of the 7.5 hours of education they're supposedly getting, there might be three hours of actual instruction or practice of any given skill set. And that's just the truth. It's true. It's just true. There's a massive waste of time, even in the best schools, even with like really strict teachers or whatever you want to say, there's just very <laughs> little direct instruction or, or other wise instruction and very little practice of any sort of skills. And so that's what any kind of education should be basically boiled down to is you get some instruction, you practice your skills, you get some instruction, you practice your skills. Like this is a really basic formula and there's very little of it actually happening. Right. Then you look at the skills that they do give students um, and the most difficult of them tends to be for most people like, you know, pretty specific grammar or very specific styles of writing or high level math or science. Mm -hmm. Well, none of those things are used by most people in most jobs. Honestly, they're not. Um, and so do they need them? I, it's not bad to have any of those things, but is it necessary? I don't know. You could make the argument, right? But what you cannot say is that most kids are ready for any career or any job when they graduate high school, unless it's by the luck of their personality and their specific situation. It is not because school prepared them for that. So what did school do to them or for them, right. <laughs> to them That's really? The um, it stripped away their ability to question authority. It trained them to absolutely respond to authority, to feel virtue by doing exactly what they're told and to feel ashamed when they don't, you know, and if they didn't, they received all these messages. You're bad. You're bad for society. You're not lovable. You know, you'd like, no, you're not worth our time. You're ruining everything. All of these things that really get into these kids heart. And I, that was the thing Absolutely. I hated the most about teaching is that the most brilliant minded students were the ones questioning and rebelling. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who believed that they were the stupidest. And I was so sad to see over and over again, I'm like, no, you're brilliant. You actually have a brain left to question with and you're not in any way defunct, you know, and they just tell you this. Um, but it is really terrifying, you know, that um, so we have our kids in this situation where they're really being taught to just obey blindly anything, never to think critically. We don't teach critical thinking anymore when we teach what we call critical thinking now, what it really is. And this, I am not joking. When I used to teach media literacy, for example, what I was teaching kids was to find out who published what, find out who their ties are with, who funds them, mm -hmm. and therefore look for any bias they might have because of that. Look at their political donations and affiliations and look at therefore their bias. I was never teaching them this source good, this source bad, this source good, oh. this source bad. I was teaching them how to evaluate any source that could ever come their way mm -hmm. for bias, you know, or I was teaching them how to um, analyze it for you know, hidden messaging or analyze it for rhetoric that like tried to draw on their emotions instead of using logic, for example, and these types of things that could be applied to any media source ever. Now, literally, when they teach media literacy, so supposedly, what they're teaching, 
teaching kids is this source good, this source bad, don't go to that source, this source is good. And what they really mean by that is these sources are democratic. And those right. sources are Republican, which <laughs> you know, is and so it, frustrating. It's so frustrating because we know the world isn't even just Democrat and Republican, oh. but they're they're It's so maddening. And I'm like, you're literally just telling kids what to think and not how to think. You're just reinforcing that they continue the rest of their life, just blindly obedient, never thinking. They don't teach critical thinking skills, like I said. And so this is what you're doing to your child when you put them in public education. You're giving them about three hours if it's a really good day. I'm not exaggerating. I was a teacher for 14 years all over the world, public and private schools, every situation you can imagine, inner cities, super rural, all of it, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of kids, rich kids, poor kids, all of it. Mm. And it's all the same. <laughs> they are private never... school too, huh? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, because, I mean, this year, my, my wife and I specifically have been kind of seeking out these, um, I'm, I mean, I'm on the East Coast, I'm not sure how widespread they are, but they're kind of called like Sudbury schools. Yeah. Um, um, there's there's a couple different names for them, but these alternative learning schools, um, that seems more akin to what we're going for. Of course, they're astronomically priced because... It's supply and demand. It's just similar <laughs> to organic and vegan and gluten-free food in the supermarket is extremely high cost compared to everything else. And it's like, what's the root cause of that? It seems like the, the actual education, the actual healthy way to raise our children is is like pressured to be more expensive and basically uh impossible to reach for most people anyway and most people don't even really know about these kinds of they're not advertised anywhere these alternative styles or whatever i mean how what would what's your opinion on these alternative schools i mean are these viable in it, within this system or close to it in a, in a world where we could potentially have our children taken if the state doesn't yeah. approve of the education that they're given which is terrifying it's terrifying so, the, um, <laughs> which none of us consent to, by the way. Uh, oh, so <laughs> the first thing I'd say is, unfortunately, you know, and it is the same with organic food and with anything really that's good for us or well-made at all. <laughs> um, it is way more expensive and so therefore prohibitive to many people. And, and schooling is no different. But it's not, I really don't think it's like a intentional thing or a conspiracy sort of thing where they're like, they are trying to like make it more expensive. Um, okay. What, you know, what I understand is that basically public school is mass produced learning and education. When you mass produce anything, it's cheaper. You stick 40 kids in a room, like that's cheaper than in all of these much better schools, like any kind of Waldorf school, Montessori school, Sudbury yeah. schools, a lot of uh, any like unlearning school or hack schooling or unlearning any of these school. types like of things. Of yeah, those are really cool. Um, any of these is going to be a lot more if you have a trained professional doing it, it's going to be a lot more expensive because you're going to have a lot less students and that person still needs to make their living <laughs> and right. that's expensive, you know? So um, if we could get, and a lot of places are trying to do this and it's another thing that, um, you know, if we're looking at the false divide political spectrum, that the democratic side is always trying to stop and the Republican side is generally trying to push is getting the state to fund any place, any 
provider of education the same as they would provide to the public school for that student's enrollment. That would be a huge step in itself because now anyone can come, for example, to me for like unschooling uh, mm. and I can get that from the state at least. And then the parent doesn't even have to pay me. I can just like get that and, you know, have that be pretty, it's pretty fair when you think about it. If I'm not going to public school, where's that right. money going? Like someone should get it. Um, so that would be a huge step that we could do. The other thing though, that I always tell people is, and it's not something everyone can do because most people can't stay home alone with their kids, but it's something you could try to eventually aim for a co-op sort of situation for where you and a bunch of other parents take days where you take everyone's kids and you have them that day and you're going to do whatever. And whether it's a continuation of projects that somebody else started at someone else's house or whether it's a totally new set of things that you're all doing because that's your style and the way you mm -hmm. teach, um, you know, that you each kind of take part in that. And the thing that, uh, deters a lot of people from doing something like that is a lot of people don't think that they can. And I'm here to tell you that anybody who would even be listening to something like this is absolutely capable of educating their child at any age, because yeah. you're capable of educating yourself. And yes. so you're, you're capable of educating a child. And a lot of people think, well, I couldn't possibly do it as well as like a, you know, a teacher or a trained professional or these people who do it all the time. Like maybe most teachers I've met are honestly really really bad they're bad people and they're not good at teaching <laughs> so that's the majority yeah, I met a few <laughs> yeah i think we can all relate to that right so Absolutely. then you look at that like well you're a good person you have good values it's your kid and right. you do know how to learn so you know how to teach <laughs> and right. you know how to invite learning and and then a lot of people think well it won't be as rigorous let's go back remember on the best day where everything works perfectly and everyone's just like in line maybe three hours of focused learning right. so you're going to tell me you can't do that i'm pretty sure you can do that <laughs> it's scary yeah, absolutely. and it's it's deter like it's overwhelming for a lot of people, but that's why I provide consultations for people so I can encourage them like, look, here's here's like a basic scenario of what you could do and it would be way better than public school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really, really valuable. My dream would be if uh, everybody took their kids out of public school and just homeschooled them, did homeschool co-ops, not with the district because mm -hmm. they do it horrifyingly of course right. everything they touch dies <laughs> yeah, but yeah. just with yourself and with your own community you create of like-minded people and people can come and go whatever but just you know you can do it yeah i mean <laughs> your your words my thoughts man like i we've been talking about this very same thing if it can be done we're gonna we're gonna try that at least but then we do run into that whole you know, certain states, I guess, would allow certain leniencies, but, um, you know, the state has to approve the education you're giving your child. I guess, would you say that there's like a bare minimum of that that you could teach your child and then just get that out of the way kind of thing? Well, yeah, I, I know what you mean. So a lot of states don't. And what they say usually is we can come audit your the education you're providing for your student at any time and you have to provide us with records or whatever. And and so it'd be it'd be like a tax audit, right? Like here, throw a folder at them, be like, you look at it. Like I'm not like <laughs> wasting. Are you gonna pay me for this? No, you figure it out. Um, but if you have anything that shows that something has been happening, um, then that is, um, from, in most cases, it's gonna suffice, right? So what I mean is if you're like, look, here's the receipts to the day we went to the museum, here's the audio recording of us discussing it afterwards or whatever, here's like whatever, here's the record. Okay, here's a really easy one, mm -hmm. Khan Academy, K-H-A-N, 
Okay. Khan Academy is free. It's for anyone. It tracks users. Your 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 child can log in and then they have this record of all the time they've spent and the subjects they've done. Nobody could ever criticize this curriculum. It's amazingly well done. It's very beautiful. It's free. I'll say that again. It's free. Anyone can do it. Nice. <laughs> um, and it's as a as a high school teacher, everything that's been on there that I've ever seen is high quality, better than most schools, honestly, mm -hmm. very good curriculum. There's none of this critical race stuff. There's no uh, common core. It's just good learning. Um, and it's made by people who are just passionate about their subjects and just wanted to provide, you know, and this has been growing for, I don't like 20 years or something. It's a huge database of just amazing stuff, but it's very well organized by grade and by subject. And that's amazing. Yeah. And if kids have trouble, they have quizzes, the kid will take a quiz and they'll say like, you know, Hey, it seems like you're having trouble with this specific skill. Here's a video, watch it. You know? And then the kid's like, Oh, that's the thing I was struggling with. <laughs> um, it's very well done. And you, there's, there's aspects of it you can pay for too. And I think it's very affordable, but it is free at its most basic level. So they do often uh, say that they can come audit, but you can always have something that you can show them and say, this is, this is our curriculum. I made it myself. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, and that's nothing wrong with that. They don't have to, they, they can't generally say you have to use this specific brand of curriculum or whatever, because it's prohibitive. It's they're expensive. The types of curriculum that schools often would suggest or use are really, really expensive for no good reason. Right. Um, so it's just, it's more that it's more the record okay. of it. And it's more that you can show that something happened if they really wanted to, you know, we've seen horror stories. We've seen people have their kids taken by CPS. We've, but I have not heard of somebody getting, um, legally, I should say like held accountable in some way because of like the quality of their curriculum. Mm, or the you know what context I mean? Or something. They love to scare people though. They love to. So you'll Look, go in and you'll this. say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they'll, and then you'll say, I'm going to do homeschooling, you know, and they're, oh, you can't, it's illegal. We won't let you like, you have to do this and this and this before you right. get, and they just lie. So it's really like every parent, whatever state they're in, you know, is responsibility to look and find their homeschooling laws and see what the requirements are. And it's often just that you write a letter and send it by mail to the district. That's right. It. They'll tell you you have to do conferences and you have to bring a lawyer and all this stupid stuff. They'll oh just they'll just goodness. lie. Jesus. Yeah. I live in Massachusetts, <laughs> so I mean it's probably one of the worst in the, those kinds of situations. But I'll, we'll look further into it for sure. Uh, yeah. You mentioned the critical race theory, and this is a, an interesting point I'd like to talk about real quick, is because this is a symptom of a much larger problem too. Of course, this idea that um, now people like you and I. Uh, aren't really allowed to discuss critical race theory in the way we're about to discuss it because <laughs> it makes us in a headline sound immediately racist. Yeah. And this uh, tactic of constantly, uh, you know, allowing these vulnerable groups, more vulnerable groups in our society to feel protected by the state when they're fucking not being protected by the state. But I did want to ask you about that because I feel more than ever right now, it seems like critical thinking and the scientific method is so desperately needed in our culture yeah. right now. And isn't there something in critical race theory about the scientific method alluding to the fact that it's not, you know, that it's, it's racist. Not, yeah. It's racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, Probably because literally everything is racist in critical race theory. Oh. I mean, there's nothing that's not, and there's nothing, there's no situation where you wouldn't 
in critical race theory make the assumption that race was the primary factor involved mm -hmm. and that in every case when the race is a person of color then they they are the victim and in every case if the race is a, a person uh not of color i guess a white person mm -hmm. um a caucasian then they are the aggressor the oppressor and the you right. know and this is now the part of the language the victimizer the so, colonizer, all their words. <laughs> and doesn't it seem to you that it's really not about any of this shit, any of this like race stuff that, that they throw at us and they're making us fight about it and all that? It, it seems so obvious now that this is just a total sidetrack and we can yes. go on and on and on about critical race theory. And it's really still just a distraction, is it not? Oh, yeah. It's look at who is the actually just like provably demonstrably most racist sector of society is the parasite class. They right. like hate, they have a history of purposely trying to exterminate people of color all over the world, Right. you know? And, and I admit some of their high level lackeys are people of color. And I don't think that really matters because overall they're predominantly very white and very old families of whiteness. Uh, they started Planned Parenthood with the express, the express mission of lowering the black population. Those people, these people who are creating critical race theory and pushing it are traditionally and historically and provably the most racist people who actively try to destroy the lives of brown people and black people all over the world. So it makes sense though, that they would use that against us because it's so easy. You look at someone you instantly know, oh, they're right. white, they're racist. Oh, they're black, they're a victim. Like that's way too easy of a divisive tool. So it's definitely, I agree with you about division more than anything and which tells you a lot though it tells you that they have to work this hard just yeah. to keep us at each other's throats instead of in unity with each other would you say it's still important to try to spread the word or should we just move on to the positive um i think it's important to get to like the the most fundamental principles of any of it and spread that because just like i was talking about how i try to teach the you know how to evaluate any source so now you can take this and go apply to anything it's like teaching someone to fish right like you want mm -hmm. them to be able to go do this independently so the more we can break it down to like the most core principles of any of these things then then that person uh can take that and apply it to any situation right the news can pop up the next day with this and this and this and they can think like oh wait mm -hmm. what about that principle like that i learned you know where I don't know if yeah. race is being mentioned, it's probably to divide us or, you know, right, like something right. like that. So that we focus less on like, um, you know, who did, who did the buildings collapsing in New York or whatever. And we do mm. more like, what are the, um, what are the common symptoms of, or signifiers of a false flag, right? In general, yeah. so now right. you can apply this to anything. I think that would be cool to see. Um, and I think we see a lot of it, but I think it is a more helpful at least. Um, but it could be fun to talk about any of these topics. So I don't think we need to abandon them or feel like we're like, as long as new we people coming in, them. they need to know, right? Right. And I forget that. I will just like talk about stuff and then I'll, and then someone. <laughs> And I'll be like, this was a really boring episode I just did. It's stuff everyone knows. And then I'll have people commenting and messaging me like, that was amazing. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, like sorry, I, I forgot I was having a level four conversation. I didn't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay. We've been, we've kind of got into the idea of, you know, go to the root principle of it because I'd really like to, to talk about how you've been writing your books. 
<laughs> because that is something that I, as a skeptic on one hand, yet a psychonaut spiritual guy on the other hand, I've always wrestled with channeling and all that kind of stuff. And this past year, I've had a couple people close to me get into it, and I've been like, is all this real too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's, it's weird for me because I realize more and more that I've always been doing these things that I now do a lot more intentionally and have like names for. And, you know, but I just, at the very basic level, let's say we go back to whenever in my like twenties or something. Right. And I'm mostly writing poems and articles and, and whenever I'd have to sit down and write something intentionally, like I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write this. It was always just straight shit. But if I like was doing something and I had a thought and then I had this like vision hit me and I was like, whoa, that would be a really cool like poem or something or an article or whatever. And I just like rush home to like scramble to like get it all out and then edit it. And I'm like, wow, this was like really, really good. <laughs> like that was like the basic levels of it, right? Where like inspiration is literally like striking you and you have to like rush to get it out. And, but I didn't think about that any differently than, I don't know. I never really thought about it at all, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was just something that happened. Right. But when I started writing my book, uh, the first book in my trilogy, the Sign Curve of Aeons trilogy, and it's called Phytalis, and I, um, it, it actually struck me in a trilogy form in my mind one night, fully formed. So I just like, like got three books in my head. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> and I had to rush to like jot down, and I still have it somewhere. But it's just like a sentence or two for each book. And that was it. It was just wow. so I could remember like the, the feel of them. Um, and I thought to myself, like, I don't write, but I don't write fictional novels. I don't write books. I don't know how to do it. I've <laughs> never been taught. I've read a ton my whole life, but I don't know how people, and I've always thought I could never do that. Cause I read a book, like I haven't read game of Thrones, but let's say game of Thrones, for example. And I think to myself, how could anyone come up with this much detail and this many <clears throat> excuse me, layers. Um, and these many things that like come back to get you later that you never saw coming. And like, I'm just like, how do they do this is like genius, you know? Mm. So I was pretty sure I couldn't even do it, but I was like, well, it came to me and I had just heard this woman talking uh, about her book and she was talking about it like a crazy person. And I was thinking this person is schizophrenic. Like, I guess a lot of writers just must be schizophrenic because the way she's talking about it, She's like, I see and hear my characters. I know they're real. And I know that inspiration came to me and that if I didn't get it out fast enough, it would go to someone else. And I'm like, that sounds pretty kooky. Like you're living in a delusional state, but you write really well. So that's kind of cool. Right. Um, so I went to try to start to write my first book and I... Um, was kind of thinking about that. And I was like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to become crazy either. So I guess I'll just like start writing and see what happens and try to get something of this story out. And maybe it'll be shorter and maybe it'll be like, you know, just painstaking and maybe it won't even be that good, but I will have tried. Um, and I sat down and I think part of why this was able to occur for me was because I was such a blank slate for it. Like, because I had never had any formal novel writing instruction. Mm -hmm. So when I sat down the first time to just write, I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know how you start. Like, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I just like saw a scene in my head and I was like, okay, I'll just start somewhere. Like, I don't know where this is, but I'll just like start describing this place 
you know, and then I'd like see a character come up in my imagination and I'd be like, oh, that's a cool character. Let's put them in there. And I'd like start describing them and then their name would pop into my head. I'm like, okay, this is a cool name. Like, wow, this is all just kind of like coming to me. And I would just write and then I would just, (laughs) and then I would stop and be like, wow, I just like wrote a whole chapter of a book. Like that was crazy. I didn't even know what was going to happen. And now all these things have already happened that like, hopefully that keeps happening. And then every time I sat down to write, I would start getting images and like characters would pop in. And eventually I started realizing this is what that woman said. (laughs) She said she could see and hear her characters. And that is what I'm doing. I'm seeing them. And then I hear them talking to each other. Not like hear, I'm not like hearing voices, but but I like, yeah, I like understand the words that they're sharing with each other. And then I write it all out. And so I started to understand, like, I'm pretty sure I'm not even writing this book. I'm pretty sure I'm just sitting here as like an antenna that's receiving it from somewhere. And I still didn't ever think of the word channeling. Right. Right. I was just thinking like, well, it's this the stupid is my... stuff, right? It's the stupid stuff in culture. Nobody go that. You know, that's, that's all. You're not allowed to. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I eventually started having the experience that the things that would come into my head to be put into the book were things that I could then later look up on the internet and they were real things. And I was like, well, that's crazy because I did not know those things and they still came through. So then I understood something's actually happening. Like, it's not just imagination. It's not just inspiration. It's not that I like had read so much and written so much that I, I, I do think I had read so much and written so much that I was able to write well already. So that sure. definitely obviously helps because it got my brain out of the way, you right. know? so that like inspiration could just come through. But if I'm being shown and told things in this space in my mind that I couldn't have known otherwise, then clearly it's coming from somewhere. So then I got kind of weirded out because I was like, well, then just like that woman said, these characters are real and they're somewhere and they exist. (laughs) And I don't know if that's like a physical space somewhere and I'm like spying on them with my (laughs) like writing their story (laughs) or if they just exist in that realm of imagination, but it's still real somehow, you know, like I don't pretend to know like what, what is our imagination? If it's not some sort of access to our third eye or some sort of spiritual vision, right? Right. We create with it. Anybody who's ever manifested in any way knows that you have to imagine it pretty clearly. And then it happens. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're good at it, if you're practiced at it, and if you're kind of like practicing, Oh man. Right. I've been reading a lot of Neville Goddard. Have you heard of him? No. He's, um, he is a force to be reckoned with. You got to check him out on YouTube sometime. He's an older guy. He's long, long gone now, but he was back in like the fifties and sixties talking about manifestation. He compared the imagination to God. He said that that is what we've all been really talking about this whole time. And with this aspect of channeling this creative force, you seem also like you were perhaps kind of resistant to these new age notions. Yes. I come to everything first as a skeptic where I'm like, yeah, right. You're full of shit. Like you are lying and you're just trying to get people's money and like whatever. And so I totally get that resistance to everyone out there who's feeling that because I do it automatically. I do not trust people. (laughs) You have to prove yourself to me. And once you do, like, then I might trust you. And I've had a lot of like spiritual teachers and they all had to prove themselves to me too, where I was like, "Mm, sure. Yeah. You can totally do this ceremony or whatever. Like, you know, (laughs) and then they would do it and I'd be like, holy crap. Like, whoa. So I totally get that. And um, yeah, I am resistant. I just see so much 
like crap out there. I mean, I see people who are like, I don't know. I was in the bathroom one day and these women uh, at this restaurant were talking and they were like, I, you know, put out my fairy house and I called the fairies in and now the fairies are living in my yard and I like talk to them at night and stuff. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with them? But I have to stop now because I've had so many times where I have like been like, this is bullshit. You're bullshit. That's bullshit. (laughs) And then it's been proven wrong. And I'm like, okay, maybe fairies exist. Maybe those women invited them to our house. Maybe they talked to them. None of my business anyway. Like, you know, just let it go and stop being so judgmental because I don't know anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I I used to look at, um, so you've heard it a million times too the paranormal, everything, all the stuff that we're talking about, the more you pay attention to it, the more it pays attention to you. And as a skeptic, what does that sound like? That sounds like bullshit. (laughs) You know what I mean? At first glance, it always sounded to me like, well, that's a perfect cop out. So everyone interested in it gets to experience it. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Like, no shit. How about that? What a coincidence. But then now understanding manifestation, it does kind of seem like that it actually is manifestation itself that's doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's our imagination. It's also our attention. You know, I had this um, aura reader who, again, I was like, whatever, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll try it. Right. And she was like, you um, have this direct line to this very powerful guide. And he's like really sick of you not listening to him. And I was like, yeah, right. And then I was like, actually, I wonder in my head, I'm like, I wonder actually if that's my dad because he's dead. And she said out loud, it's not your dad. And I was like, oh, (laughs) so you are something like real. So then I like kind of listen. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I actually do have this connection to some sort of guide and I'm not listening to him. And she's like, yeah, you are. You're not. You need to. And she was like pissed at me and like sent me away. I was like, whoa, okay. So I purposely started giving time to that. Like, let's, I'm going to sit. And I had teachers who were teaching me different practices of like how to get more clear and more aligned and be in a space where you can ask to hear your guide and see what happens. And um, now I am just blown away because it's just like the channeling thing where I'm like, there's things that I would, there was no way that I could know in any other way. And this um, guide or whatever other set of energies that I am then intentionally aligned to, uh, you know, immersed in and inviting to communicate with me, like, can show me these things that were like, (laughs) there's no other way I could know. So I'm like, okay, okay, she was right again. (laughs) So I just, I've learned over and over again to be more humble and to be less judgmental and to also be more open to the skills that all of us have. We're just very, very trained out of them. And we're made to think that, you know, only someone really special or like chosen or like, which is dangerous thinking anyway, really dangerous, (laughs) but like literally anybody can do any of these things, you know? And I think that that same education system that corrupts us and the media and all these things that just corrupt us, they also distract us. They teach us to be distracted and shallow and to just run from one sensation to the next sensation to the next sensation and never sit and reflect and be contemplative and never give yourself time to just be quiet. And Mm -hmm. all of these things you would really have to do, including emotional healing, which like we talked about before too, is another thing is like, oh, there's something wrong with you if you want to talk about emotions or express yeah. emotions, right? <laughs> and so. it's weird too, because it doesn't it seem like there was like a grace period where we were, it felt like we were heading in a really good direction culturally, where things like that were, were more open-minded, at least from my perspective. This could just be my tunnel vision that I was becoming more open to things too that I normal, that I wasn't before. And suddenly 
it just started to curve back around. It, it doesn't seem like a natural progression because it does seem, you look through history, it does seem like there was an ebb and flow to these very enlightened periods and then very low vibration periods. But it seemed like we were just about to enter one, were we not? Or maybe we are and the negativity is part of that? There's, yeah, in the, in the broad in the broad view, it's always the sine curve. It's always mm -hmm. exactly as far up as it is down. And so we're, I think we're still in the down, the trough. <laughs> um, and maybe we're going to start heading up soon. But when you think about what that really looks like on the minor, if you like zoom in further, there's going to be little like jagged stuff all over, right? right. But overall, it's going to like describe this smooth curve. Mm -hmm. just like any graph if you zoom out or in right right so i do think you know we we experience these sort of vacillations of light and darkness and i think part of that is like a necessary purging and healing if you think about the way you even are you know your body gets ill or sick um you know and you you first sort of like sort of feel like crap but then you're like no it's not that bad i'm i'm probably okay and then it gets like worse and you're like oh my god actually it's way worse and then you're like no actually i think i might be okay and then you're like down and you're like down for days right, <laughs> so there's right. even in that like there's this vacillation right and i think i think it's like that so i feel like a lot of people feel that what you're describing is like, oh, people are about to wake up. There's like more spiritual energy around than there ever has been. And we're like, maybe we're about to unite finally and like yeah. take out this parasite class or whatever. And then they're like, COVID and masks and vaccines <laughs> and all this stuff and like lockdown. And we're like, oh my God. And especially if you're just sort of like deepening into any kind of like spiritual or emotional place and then you get hit with all of that, that's like the moment where you can really break <laughs> and right. run back or, to the other side right or right. shoot up exactly right so it's which like, is what we were talking about from the beginning yeah it all comes back around <laughs> yeah i mean we were both saying that 2020 and all the chaos actually inversely was very very good for us very it's like a catapult where it's just like flings some of us forward and then some of us like fell down to the ground and we're like i don't want to fly anywhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i mean uh back to um so back to this channeling thing right i've been turned on to a few of them recently that i'm very curious about i will say that my wife has introduced me to them and it's in the background i'm like yeah 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 and then suddenly i'm like well wait a minute that that sounds like this guy that sounds like this author i read 10 years ago that sounds like alan watts 30 years like yeah it seems like there is a way to almost prove authenticity, but you kind of have to be a, a spiritually awake, dare I say, to kind of notice it. And it's this, my friend mentioned this term to me, spiritual principles are always aligned. And it seems like all the channelers that are popular have the same simple message. This, they talk about the same exact nuances, the same perspective, it seems. It almost seems like not a person. It seems like a mentality that's coming through from multiple points of light, almost. And that kind of seems to me like the driving idea that you, we could push open and kind of make channeling maybe more uh, widely accepted or, or maybe uh, more people would be open to learning about it if, it, uh, if there was a way to kind of show that this wasn't just one person's perspective being provocative on stage you know what i mean yeah it's like i understand totally what you're saying and i think 
we can bring it right back to that thing where we're saying like, what are the principles then? What's the fun, what's the most fundamental aspect that I want to look for? Because it can help us weed out. Um, Cause also just because you're actually truly channeling doesn't mean you're channeling something positive necessarily. And a mm. lot of what is negative can be sort of um, veiled in what's looks positive. Um, so for example, like you're saying that that universal message, if it, if there's if it's promoting love and harmony and unity and like, you know, healing yourself and healing others and having good boundaries and, you know, all of these things that you can just say like, yeah, well, that's good. Then it's then it's cool. Right. Mm. If it's saying something like you need to go um, harm yourself or others in some way, even if that way is sort of superficial, right? Like sometimes it's, sometimes people are like, give away all your possessions and go move into this cave and start doing like, you know, sweats every day. Right. And it's like, no, you. I mean, maybe if you're yeah. called to do that, do it. I'm not saying don't do that. Go I'm saying like, for days, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying there's a lot of these groups that are like, you have to do it this way. Or there's a lot of these channelers that are like, you need to do this, this and this, you have to eat vegan and you have to like this and that. And it's like, well, honestly, as far as I've delved into the spiritual and, and been in contact with these like pretty amazing forces now and like pretty directly, I don't, there is no judgment about what you eat, what you wear, what stuff you own or anything else like that. It's really shallow to think that we can have rules about that, that would somehow apply on a spiritual plane. Like your guide doesn't care if on the other hand, whatever you're doing and being around or whatever is giving you a negative or like a distracting or like a whatever, then it will be harder to be in line with that. And so if mm -hmm. you personally feel negative about eating meat, you shouldn't eat meat. Right, right. <laughs> I don't feel negative. I feel great about it. So I eat meat, and I'm totally in line with my highest spiritual <laughs> self. So I just, I think like if there's these messages of like, here's how you heal yourself and here's how you get um, clearer and cleaner and here's how you invite others to do it. And here's how you start to like fix the things and here's how you take time for yourself. And here's like, all those beautiful things. Is, those are awesome. But you should just always be wary, I think, of being told ultimatums or how you should like live on this superficial level. It's pretty, um, I think it's pretty disingenuous, you know, but I think sometimes we can get messages like that for ourselves. Like I was, um, microdosing a lot for a while and it was great and it was helpful and all these great things were happening. And then one day my, one of my guides came to me and was like, stop taking mushrooms. I was like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> like I'll stop. <laughs> and I did. And who knows? I've had friends that started to get like ulcers from it. So maybe it was like preventing Jeez. me from you know, getting an ulcer. So I don't know, but I, I just, I would listen to personal messages about that, but I wouldn't ever listen to someone trying to tell you that you're supposed to, for some spiritual reason, live or act or dress or do anything a certain way. So take it back to those fundamentals, I think is a really good idea. It goes right back to how we educate our children, right? Not what to think, but how to think, exactly. how you guys can get together and do how you can do this, but not what to do, not where to go, what, you know, this and that. Absolutely. And if you do even one hour of that a day, you will have educated them more than any public school ever could because <laughs> they can literally crazy. take every single moment, which a true spiritual master would do too, every <laughs> single moment as the deepest learning experience yes. of all. Yes. <laughs> no matter what Walking is meditation, right? Try, right? try to bring it into everyday life, right? Exactly. Well, it's been really great, Lindsay. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective with us. I've been a huge fan for a long time, and I really, really appreciate it. Uh, just before you go, well, first of all, plug everything. 
please plug everything. Don't There's, rely on me. I'll forget half of it. Yeah, well, I forget half of it. I'm the one who does it. So I totally understand that. There is a lot. So my main thing is my show Rogue Ways. Right now, it's still on YouTube, even though YouTube has given me some strikes. And I don't know how much longer I might be there, even though I don't consent to them kicking me off. I do have a Rockfin channel. And so Rockfin is R-O-K-F-I-N dot com slash rogue ways and if you go there you can find um it is it's a backup channel and its own show there's middle path is only on rockfin it's another show i do that one's a lot more dedicated to the spiritual um and rogue ways is just kind of everything i just love everything conspiracy yeah. <laughs> science like culture philosophy just all kinds of stuff so um rogue ways and middle path will always exist especially on any podcast app or um, iTunes or anything. So you'll always be able to hear them at least. But if it, YouTube does go away, Rockfin is the place to go. So you may as well go there now. That would be great to see everybody there. I have a community that's social media. It's sort of like Facebook, except nothing gets um, hidden or oppressed. You can actually see every post and comment and that's in rogue.locals.com. It's super cool. There's just nothing but awesome people there. And it's a great, if you want to feel good and like be yourself, this is the place for you to go. Um, I do have my book, Sign Curve of Aeons, uh, Phytalis, and then Earth, A Trough in Time is the sequel. I'm working on the third one now, and those are yes. both available on Amazon. But I also write <laughs> articles, poetry, and I make orgone pendant uh, jewelry and art. I make uh, crystal and stone necklaces and earrings and rings. And um, all of those are infused with a blessing. I do spiritual work as well. I do um, tarot readings for people. I do what I call guidance sessions, which is sort of like a spiritual counseling session. And then I also do ceremony and healing sessions, which is a lot deeper and would be good for anyone who thinks they might have some negative energy or attachment to them that they want to try to clear out or, you know, if they want to get in deeper contact with their allies or just learn more about their own spiritual path and sort of where they're headed, mm -hmm. um, then that would be good for them too. And I think that covers most of what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Uh, so before you go, if you could just give one condensed little piece of advice for anyone on the brink of self-discovery, anyone trying to get past the fear and right there on the edge, ready to wake up, but still barely smelling the coffee, what would you say to them? I would say you are exactly where you're supposed to be and you are exactly who you are supposed to be and you're doing exactly what you are supposed to do and you're never ever alone and if you need help you can always call out to your highest self and your spiritual guides and help will appear thanks for listening to this episode of the deep share podcast if you want to hear more then hit that subscribe button follow me on all the social places and remember think for yourself but don't always believe what you think Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, cactus paria. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you will atone. What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.